Well, good morning, church. It's good to see your beautiful faces. Greg, Pastor Greg would say the ugly ones, too. I don't feel like I can say that, but uh, it is good to see you. Thank you for being a part of your church, for making church a priority, for being here together as a body of Christ. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, I just love to be here with you. Uh, I will tell you one thing. I don't know. That worship was pretty amazing, yeah? Love worshiping with you. And I shared with First Service, but what a great reminder it is and uh, to sing a song that says we're fighting battles that are already won. And that just resonates in my, my spirit. I pray it does with you. Um, I just trust that the Holy Spirit was uh, just in your heart this morning as you're worshiping him. Um, I'm just here to share a few announcements with you this morning before Pastor Greg brings the word. Uh, as we look forward from here, men, it's your turn. There's a, there's a band of brothers coming up next Monday, not tomorrow, but next Monday. Uh, you know, I feel like we've done all the things. We've got the kids going, we've got the women going. Now it's your turn, men. Next Monday, come and join us in, in fellowship together with uh, with each other. Uh, and then as you look toward October, can you believe we're talking about October? Oh, crazy. Pumpkin patch season. Okay. <laughs> but truly here at MRCC during the month of October, we want to make sure you put the dates on your calendar uh, because if you're new to MRCC or you uh, have not been a part of our membership classes, we have them coming up in October the 1st, the 8th, and the 15th. Uh, just if, if you have decided to make MRCC your church home, uh, we just want to invite you to come and hear more. Pastor Greg leads the classes, just kind of gives you just all the tools, uh, ask questions, um, just come and be invited to to be a part of that and just know more about your church. That'd be great. Uh, but also at the end of all of those classes, we also like to have a, a baptism Sunday. So that's coming up too uh, on October 29th. I'm telling you, it is my favorite Sunday. We bring the kids in here and we just celebrate with those of you who have committed to just making Jesus Lord of your life. If you received him as your personal savior and if you have not been baptized, then we wanna invite you uh, to get baptized. But we do ask that you sign up just so that we can be ready <laughs> Although I would say, if you came on the 29th and wanted to be baptized, I would not say no. However, uh, if you let us know, we'd like to make sure we're ready and prepared for you. And the best way to do that, there's two ways. There's a little QR code right there on the seat, right in front of you. If you scan that, uh, you can see a link to get uh, signed up for baptism and membership. It's kind of nice to know and prepare also for membership. Although you're welcome to come without signing up. We just, it helps us a little bit if we know and are prepared for you. The other way you can sign up is just out at the guest center. We have a couple clipboards out out there. So if you don't like the online thing, feel free to just come and tell us back at the guest center and we'll get you signed up and ready to go for all that. Um, but it's kind of a full fall, ready? You see all that coming our way. Uh, but there is one more thing that I want to bring uh, to your attention this morning, uh, and it's all of our school teachers, administrators, custodians, counselors. Would you stand up for just a minute if you're in? I know you don't. You, yeah, come on. Just please. You got to stand up. If you are educators, you work in our education field. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you guys. We appreciate you. You can hear it. Like in this house, we appreciate you so much. My heart, obviously, for kids. I love that, that you're there. But we know and we understand that it truly is a ministry where you are. And you can see a whole list of people uh, in our church body that are in, in ministry. And I just want to encourage those, all of us, uh, just to be in prayer for our, our teachers and our uh, school district workers. Um, I just, we just, our heart is for you. We know that you're kind of on the front lines and you're raising these kids in another, I mean, if you're a school teacher, you're not just a teacher anymore, right? You're a, you're a counselor, you're kind of all the things. So we know this and we want to partner with you as well. 
So if you're in education, if there's any way we can walk alongside you, if there's any way we can be praying for you, if there's any way that we can even help resource you in your classrooms, uh, come talk to us because we want you to know that we're here also just to partner with you in that way as well. Uh, so I'm going to pray for our teachers uh, before Pastor Greg brings the word. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful for those that you called into a ministry of teaching and uh, counseling and taking care of our kids during the week in the, in the school district. And um, God, we're just so thankful for them and we're thankful that we can have a partnership with them in this way. I pray a blessing over them as they teach this year. I pray a blessing over them as they just minister the lives of kids uh, in so many different settings. Uh, God, I just pray that uh, you would just, <laughs> that they would feel your presence walking with them in everything they do. Uh, and Lord, over this service this morning, I just pray your anointing over it, that you just uh, cover us all just to hear your words this morning in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Allison. And thanks to the worship team. It is great to see you this morning. No, uh, I, I didn't cut my hair yet. Lady sitting behind me this morning said, I just want to fix it for you. Can I fix it for you? I said, no, you can't do that. It's great to see you, though, and welcome to Second Service. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. We're thrilled that you're with us. Two things I want to share with us before we open God's Word very briefly, and the first one is this. During, during worship this morning, the Holy Spirit laid a word in my heart for us as a church, and the Bible says that He does that, and that we're to share those things, and so I, I want to share this with you briefly from God. The Holy Spirit says... Sometimes as you journey through this wilderness, you're tempted to ask yourself, is this where we were going? And you're tempted to be discouraged that you find yourself in the wilderness, despite the fact that you've made that choice to follow God. God says, understand that I am leading you through the wilderness, not to the wilderness. I'm leading you to the other side. And this journey doesn't end here, it ends there. And so God says, don't, don't be tempted to look around and say, is, is this it? Because this isn't it. We're going all the way home, and he's leading us there. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. and Help us, Lord, to receive it into our hearts, to hear you encouraging us to hear you inviting us to lift our eyes and look over Jordan to that promised land where you will bring us. And just as we sang this morning, God, help us remember that you've provided manna today, you'll provide it tomorrow and the next day and the next day until we get home. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask your anointing and your presence in Children's Church this morning. We ask that you help us to learn and hear from you this morning. We do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's the first thing. I have a responsibility to share that when God does that, as do you, as we've talked about before. The second thing is real simple. Hey, we're just a few weeks from opening up that children's building next door. Hallelujah. And I want to, I just want, yeah, we can, yes, but, but... I just want to encourage us, church, look what we can do when we stay together over the long haul. Some of us have been dreaming of a children's building for 15 years, and yet we kept giving and praying and serving and hoping and looking forward to it, and, and now it's about to be a reality just in a few weeks. And so if you're, if you're some of those folks who've been so faithful, know this, God sees you, and God rejoices, and when we're 
older and grayer, that building is still going to be ministering to kids. And how amazing is that? So, you know, I know it's stupid, but take your right hand, put it over your left shoulder, and just pat yourself on the back a little bit. It's a cool thing. We're going to have a big opening just in about three weeks. So, really exciting stuff. Grab your Bible, friends, if you would, please, this morning, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. We're going to continue our journey through Luke's Gospel together this morning. Remember what we said at the beginning of the year? Is that our world is filled with deep fakes about Jesus. They use the name, but it's not the real guy. Jesus said that would happen. He said, watch out for that. It's easy to be able to tell the difference. Just pay attention to the real Jesus. You'll always be able to recognize the imposter. So we've been doing that this year. We're going all the way through Luke's Gospel together. This morning, we find ourselves in chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. And, you know, I just, I, I'm going to do this because he's a friend. Uh, this morning's kind of a neat morning because Pastor Zach Cash, who's sitting down here in the front row, he's shaking his head. He does not want me to do this. But he's just finished for the last five years serving all of our Northwest Ministry Network youth pastors all across Washington and Northern Idaho. And God has just called him to a new journey. Now Zach is leading all of our church planting all across Washington and Northern Idaho. Yeah, that's pretty cool, Zach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Part of my joy in doing this is the look on your face. You know that. So let's pray for him. Lord Jesus, we know it is your heart, your desire to plant churches, God, to, to gather together people into families where they call each other brother and sister, where they call you father. And Lord, you've called him to that. We ask your anointing. We ask your, your power. We ask your wisdom and your leadership. God, he's going to be working with so many different people in so many challenging moments. We pray in the realm of the spirit that you would drive out, defeat the enemy, that you would encourage him. God, we pray for Jess as she walks alongside of him, every bit a part of this as he is. God, we pray your blessing on their ministry. We thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. We're going to go down through verse 35. And, and let, me, let me ask you a question I already know the answer to, and that's this. Do you ever find yourself getting really stupidly distracted? Raise your hand if you get distracted. So, I mean, that happens to all of us, Right? A few months ago, I was over at the Pialop Mall. I had a bunch of things to do. I, I had a, arms full of stuff I had bought. I was in a hurry, and I was on the phone, and I came out into the parking lot, you know, with my to-do list in front of me, and I went up to my car, and I pulled out my key fob. You know, I got one of those electronic key fobs, right? And I clicked it, and nothing happened. The car didn't unlock. The little mini light didn't come on. You know, nothing happened. I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I can't have this now. I'm too busy today. And I kept clicking it, and nothing happened. And my mind went back to a few years ago when I had to replace a key fob. And it's like $600. I have to mail it to you from the other side of the world. And it's like a big, long thing. I'm going, no, I don't need this today. And I was on the phone with my wife. I said, Ron, I think you're going to have to come get me. My key fob isn't working. And Right about then, a lady walked up behind me, and she said, here, you want to try mine? Click, 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 and the car unlocks. <laughs> and it turns out I'm not the only person with a red four-door Mini, you know. It's the same car, and she laughed, and I laughed, and we talked. Oh, it's happened to me, and so on. And, you know, I looked down, and I realized this car is not even full of my stuff. It's obviously somebody else's car. But I was so distracted that I couldn't see what was right in front of me. And that can happen to us. And Jesus wants to talk to us about how that can happen to us in a much more serious way this morning. 
You know, it was uh, 1992, May of 1992, when a man by the name of Michael Murray placed the car seat with his three-year-old son Andrew in it on top of his car so that he could load the groceries in the car. Who hasn't done that? He was busy. He was in a hurry. And so by the time he got finished loading the groceries in the car, he forgot that the car seat with his three-month-old son was on the roof. And so he climbed inside, and he did what some of us may have had nightmares about. He drove off. And, you know, the story goes that over the next few minutes, he got out on Interstate 90 and reached speeds over 50 miles an hour, not realizing what he had done. Why? Because his head was full of stuff. And then, worst case scenario, finally, the car seat rolled off the roof, bounced down the freeway to the horror of people who were flashing their lights and honking their horns and trying to get his attention but he was too distracted, and Andrew's car seat bounced and slid right down the center of the interstate. Now, I'm glad to be able to tell you that there's a miraculous story in this. Andrew was unhurt. The car seat was badly damaged, but Andrew was unhurt. And that dad that day avoided an unimaginable, unspeakable tragedy. What could have happened? I mean, when people tell me they don't believe in miracles, they don't believe in angels, I say, well, I'm not there with you. I've heard too many stories. I've seen too many things. And, and, and I share that story with you because sometimes being distracted is just kind of funny. But sometimes it's unbelievably serious. And because of the power that distractions can have in our lives, Jesus wants to teach us about them in a particular way this morning. There's kind of three things that can really distract us. One is when we become obsessed with our enemies, with the people who we think are against us or not on our side, so obsessed that we begin to think of nothing else but them. We're going to see that happen to Jesus this morning. And then our egos can do the same thing. Our desire to be noticed, our desire to have a certain kind of reputation, it can so distract us that we can leave the babies in the car seat of our soul on the roof. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about how our ambitions can do the same thing. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. First of all, sometimes we can get distracted by our enemies. Let's listen to what the Scripture says. One Sabbath... Verse 1, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, you know, it's a a church day kind of like today, gather to worship, go home to fellowship. He's doing that, meeting with some people after the synagogue. He went to the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. See, we've already learned that many of these Pharisees are Jesus' enemies. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what he's doing. They don't hear his message about what's most important to God. They only hear their traditions and their rules and their regulations. And so they have become his enemies. It's only going to intensify as we go forward. And in this particular day, he's been invited to somebody's house, but there's really some ulterior motives here. People are there to watch and see what he might do. Don't you hate it when you're being watched? 
and you know you're being watched, you just want to tell people, stop doing that. You, you notice how you can't function your computer when somebody's standing over you watching you, you know? You can't make your phone work properly. The video won't come up when somebody's watching you. This is a time kind of like that. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy, a man with a serious physical malady that affected his joints and his bodily fluids. It was an ugly thing. Old-fashioned word for it is dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful, is it good, is it godly to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they, like enemies do, remained silent. You feel what that moment was like? Jesus knows they're there to call him on the carpet, to put him in a situation where they can betray him, where they can talk him down, where they can argue that his way isn't God's way. But Jesus took hold of the man and healed him and sent him away. And then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Here's what God wants us to grasp in this moment, church. Look how undistracted by his enemies Jesus is. Look how unaffected by their watching he is. He doesn't let himself get carried away with what they might think, what they might say, what they might do. Instead, he just continues to do what is right, what he knows is right in the Father's eyes, despite the fact that his enemies are plotting, they're right in front of him, they're working to sabotage his reputation. None of that distracts him for a moment from doing what is right and good. Let me ask you, are you that free from your enemies? Or do you constantly obsess over what they've said or might say, what they're thinking or might think? Jesus, even though he was being carefully watched by his enemies, was immune to the distraction that that offered. Can you and I say the same? He invites us, he invites you and me to live like that. Now, you know, you can overcome that distraction if you're watching something else that's more important. Yeah, when we're really locked in on what matters, distractions don't get to us. And Jesus is. He knows that all that matters is what's right in the Father's eyes. And so he's free from the distraction posed by his enemies. I read a funny story this week about Yogi Berra, the great New York Yankees catcher back in the day. And he was trying to distract Hank Aaron, who was coming up to bat. He was trying to get inside of his head. So when Hank Aaron came up to bat, Yogi said to him, hey, you're holding your bat wrong. Turn it over so that you can read the logo on the front side. And Hank Aaron, without missing a beat, without even looking at him, said, I didn't come up here to read, I came up here to hit. (laughs) Yeah, when you're focused on something more important, distractions have no power. You know, I've been that parent with a toddler in a car seat. I've set it on the roof, but I I remember thinking at the same time, oh my goodness, you know, I just put my son on the roof. I got to make sure I take him off again because I understand my capacity to be distracted. Do you understand yours? Jesus wants us to grasp this because if, if, if the worst had occurred with that father, maybe the deepest tragedy of all was that he never meant it. He never intended it. If his son had been injured or lost his life that day, how tragic that he never intended that. 
but he just allowed himself to be distracted. The Lord's enemies were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. He doesn't worry about it. He just does what is right. And the scripture says at the end of the day, they had nothing to say. That's how Jesus invites you and I to deal with our enemies. I have to tell you, I've had tons of enemies over the year. Anybody who's leading has enemies. It's the nature of leadership. And even in pastoral ministry, that can be a challenge. Somebody's always mad at me. Can I just tell you that? I learned it a long time ago, but I also learned that usually they're mad at me for the wrong reasons, and they'll figure it out eventually. And if I just keep my eyes on doing what the Lord says, then at the end of the day, it'll resolve. And it's amazing how it does. God invites us to live the same way. Here's what your Bible says to you as a follower of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Everyone, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, will have enemies. We will have people who don't understand, who set themselves up against us. It's just a natural reality. Expect it. Don't worry about it. If you don't have enemies, in fact, it means you're not doing anything. Jesus said over in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, Greg. That's how their fathers treated the false prophets. Wanting everyone to like you is a dangerous distraction. And trying to control your enemies is an equally dangerous distraction. So Jesus doesn't do that in this moment. He just keeps his eyes on the prize. He keeps going forward. And the end is what God intends. You know, lots of people want to move on from this this morning, but let me say this. Lots of people today live in fear of their enemies, and so they're controlled by their fears. They're distracted and controlled by their fears. Some live in fear of the Democrats. Some live in fear of the Republicans. Some are afraid of the Russians and Chinese and what they might do. Others are afraid of Muslims and atheists or fill in the blank. Some live in fear of gay people. Others live in fear of anyone telling them that gay is a lie about their sexuality. And they're so distracted by those fears, they can't hear God speaking the truth to them. Jesus is modeling a different way. He wasn't afraid of anyone, so he could do what was right no matter who was watching, no matter what they said, no matter what they might do. And he wants that freedom for you and me. He wants that freedom for you and me. If you're afraid, you can be manipulated. And the key to being unafraid is to only care what God thinks. This is what the Bible means, actually, in 1 John 4 when it says perfect love casts out fear. Jesus was so sure of God's love for him and so aware of God's love for the people around him that he was immune to the fear of his enemies. And your father wants that for you. He doesn't want you distracted by your enemies. Okay, so there's a second thing in this passage that we watch Jesus talk about with respect to distractions. Look at verses 7 to 11, because our egos can distract us as well. When he, Jesus, noticed the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And then, just to paraphrase, he says, and then somebody will come along, the host will say, oh, you're, you're thinking too much of yourself. I need to move you down the table. And then in front of everybody, you're demoted. Jesus says, don't, don't crave recognition. Don't constantly seek the place of honor for yourself. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Church, that is a solemn promise from the Son of God to you and me. He said lots of people in this life will exalt themselves. They'll be humbled at the end. He said, but if you choose to humble yourself, I will exalt you. In other words, don't try to prop up your ego with self-promotion. Don't set out to build your reputation as if it's a trophy you wave in the eyes of the world or, or even in your own eyes. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't run ads for your business. This doesn't mean you should, you know, endeavor in those kinds of things. What, what Jesus is talking about is this attitude where we try to promote ourselves. The Lord says, don't do it. And, and church, this is so contrary to what our world says. Our world says advertising is the key to everything. Jesus says it's a distraction that leads nowhere. Doesn't mean you don't sometimes do it just in the course of business, but to promote yourself, that's a whole different animal. And by the way, it also means that you shouldn't obsess over whether you're disrespected. That's kind of become the, the mantra of our day. Nobody better disrespect me. Christians have lost their fear of being disrespected. We're sinners saved by the grace of God, by the death of Jesus on the cross. We've lost our fear of disrespect. It doesn't touch us. It can't control us. It can't manipulate us. I love what Groucho Marx says about the self-propulsion thing. He says, I cannot take seriously anybody who takes themselves seriously. <laughs> yeah, there's profound reality in this. Over in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, Greg. Think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith you've been given. Just, you know, be humble, and I will exalt you when the time is right, when the way is right, and when it will bring blessing to you as well as those around you. Let God assign your place, otherwise you'll be distracted. I like to tell the story of years ago when I was graduating from infantry school and me and a few guys were top of the class. We got to pick our duty stations. They gave us a list. And one of the possibilities was to spend three years serving as an embassy sentry in St. Thomas in the Caribbean. Who, who thinks that sounds like a good idea? But what did I do? I saw an opportunity to go to Iceland for a year. And I not only picked it, I talked my buddy into it. I'm stupid, okay? Every day of the next 365 that I was in Iceland, I looked in the mirror and thought, I could be in St. Thomas right now for three times as long. But I became distracted by a belief that wasn't true. I thought Iceland was filled with woods and you go fishing, you go hunting. There's no trees in Iceland. <laughs> but I just didn't know that, so I got distracted. God says in the same way, we get distracted about promoting ourselves, about our reputation, about exalting ourselves, and it leads nowhere. You know, you of the younger generation, you're facing this in a profound way with social media. God says don't self-promote. He says, instead, humble yourself. I'll exalt you. The temptation's always been there, but it's manifesting in new ways all the time. This is very different from how our world thinks, but when all is said and done, it's only God's exalting that will matter. Jesus says God notices when we serve the least, not the greatest. God notices when we humble ourselves, not when we exalt ourselves. So Jesus finishes by saying, verses 12 to 14, when you give a luncheon, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, so let me just invite you as my fellow follower of Jesus this morning to ask yourself this. Have you decided who you want to be noticed by? If you don't, the distractions of your ego will tempt you to spend the next year of your life in Iceland, and that's nowhere to go, metaphorically speaking.
Jesus says, fearing our enemies and needing to be noticed can lead to tragedy. It can lead to us placing the, the, the life of serving God that we want to live like a baby in a car seat on the roof and not even realize what we're risking. You know, when I first moved to Enumclaw almost 20 years ago, I was standing at a gas station in front of Safeway, and I watched a woman who was texting and driving die right in front of me. She lost her life, mother of three. I later found out, and I thought to myself, that text cannot possibly be that important. And yet, I'm tempted all the time to be the person who's driving and checking that text that just came in. And I won't ask for a show of hands if anybody else feels that temptation because some of you would lie about it. But the reality is, that temptation is there. I can get distracted. I remember when Ron and I were on a bicycle tour in the United Kingdom in England years ago, and, and man, I just had always wanted to go there, and I was captivated by the countryside, and we're riding our bikes on these country lanes, and there's gorgeous thousand-year-old manor houses and seventh-century churches and pastures and woods and orchards. It's just as picturesque as you think it is, and my head's turning all over the place trying to see it all at once, and I rode my bike right into a ditch and into a bramble bush. My wife never laughed so hard in our entire marriage as when she saw me do that. And why did it happen? Because I was trying to see all this stuff. She said, maybe you should keep your eyes on the road. I said, I hate you for saying that. But, but it's true. And Jesus is saying something like that here. We can get distracted from pleasing God when, when those things capture our hearts. Look what the scripture says, verses 15 and following. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom. Absolutely. Jesus would say, amen. But then Jesus taught him something. He replied and said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field just bought it, and I, I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Please excuse me. And the servant came back and reported this to his master in Jesus' story, and the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, go out to the roads and country lanes, make them come in so my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet church. There's two things Jesus is saying here. It's kind of double entendre in this story. One is he's speaking to Israel. He's saying God has been inviting you to live like his people for centuries. And you keep turning it down because you're interested in other things. You want a king. You want to be patriotic more than you want to be godly. You're uh, preoccupied with your commerce and your status and your strength and your wealth. Jesus said you're turning down God's invitation. And there comes a time when God will turn away from you. But then the other side of this coin is that Jesus is talking to you and me, to whom God is always bringing invitations inviting us to experience his life in us, inviting us to serve, inviting us to give, inviting us to sacrifice, inviting us to love, inviting us to forgive, inviting us to trust him and live in his kingdom and in the joy of faith. He's always giving invitations, and very often we are saying, I got other things going. I got other things I'm 
distracted by, consumed by, busy with. Distractions can separate us from the fierce joy of knowing we please God. They can keep us from receiving his invitation. Ken Mitchell writes about his experience with this reality. He said he came to understand what Jesus is talking about through a man he met while the two of them were working part-time on the loading docks of a trucking company in Jacksonville, Florida. God's right in the middle of everyday life for everyone with ears to hear, everyone with eyes to see. His name, his friend's name was Rufus Kidd. And after they had worked together in the sweat and dirt for several months and became friends, Rufus came in excited one day because he'd received an invitation from the company to go to an interview to become a supervisor. And the job would come with an enormous raise for his young family with more benefits, with more opportunities. And it would allow him to start sort of climbing the corporate ladder of that company. And he was so excited to be even invited to interview so Ken felt his excitement and shared his joy, and, and they looked forward to the date of the interview. And that day came, Rufus went to the interview in the morning. When he came back after lunch, Ken was on pins and needles. What happened? Rufus said, well, I, I think I did pretty good. I mean, they offered me the job. Ken was like, that's outstanding. Rufus said, but I turned them down. Ken was like, what? You turned them down? Why would you do that? And Rufus said, well, the schedule, if I had taken that job, would have made it impossible for me to keep leading the single small group ministry at our church, and I just don't think it's worth it. Ken was blown away. He said, I couldn't imagine somebody thinking like that, even though I shared Rufus's faith. He said, that day I come to understand that I had a lot to learn about Rufus's heart. It would be easy to rationalize into saying, well, God wants you to have more money and more benefits. And you know what? There's a certain logic to it. But there's a deeper logic to the choice Rufus made. And if we're too distracted to see it, we'll never be able to receive that invitation. Rufus wasn't distracted. Let, let me challenge us briefly here. Do you ever make a decision like that? Undistracted people do sometimes. They say, oh man, yeah, here's an opportunity for earthly blessing, but my life's about more than that. And in this moment, I want to serve Jesus. I want to make a sacrifice. I want to do something different. And by the way, that's where we turn the corner into the home stretch this morning because what God teaches you and me is that love is fundamentally a sacrifice. Here's what 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 tells us. God says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, following Jesus is about making sacrifices because we love. Because we love God. Because we love somebody else. Because we love his kingdom, his attention, his praise more than we love the things of this world. But only people who are unafraid can make sacrifices. Only people who are not obsessed with themselves, consumed with their own egos or ambitions or enemies, only those people can make sacrifices. Jesus goes on here in Luke 14 to say this, verse 27, anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
Church, he's not talking about salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. When we believe, we are born again. We have eternal life. But he is talking about a lifestyle, a life journey of being Jesus' disciple. And he said that requires sacrifice. Greg, that's going to require you to take up your cross daily and deny yourself. And the Lord is very pointed in this last part of uh, Luke 14. We're not going to walk through every verse, but in verse 26, he says, Greg, your family can't matter more. Your family cannot matter more than your faith. If it does, you can't be my disciple. He doesn't say your family can't matter. He says it can't matter more than your love for me. He says in verses 28 to 30, this life is a long-distance runner. You can't do it in a week or a day or a month. It's going to take you from start to finish your whole life if you want to be his disciple. And he's saying it will cost you something, and we must choose to pay the price now or we'll never enjoy the reward. You know, everybody who's a parent understands this, right? That child comes into your life. Suddenly you're making sacrifices right and left for love's sake. Suddenly you find it easier to make those sacrifices. It's 2 a.m., the baby's crying, she's colicky, she's being ornery, or she just won't sleep, and and, and you make the sacrifice of waking your wife up to go deal with that. That, that, that you know, has to be done, right? It's too often true in my life, I confess. But, but yeah, God says, Greg, it's the sacrifice that is the evidence of love. I remember when I entered the military, 18 years old, stood in a room in Portland, Oregon, and took the oath of service. And it was a sobering moment. I could still see it as if it was yesterday, standing in that room with a bunch of people I didn't know and saying, I now surrender my right to my life for the next four years. I am agreeing to allow the government to send me where they want, when they want, to do what they want. I'm going, whoa, this is intense. This is a big deal. I remember being shocked by it. And so to this day, I, I, I get kind of surly when I find out that somebody took that oath and then they said, well, I don't want to go over there. It's dangerous. Hey, you already took the oath. You already made that decision. Jesus says, when we're too distracted, we can't make that decision, and we miss out on the opportunity to sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He made the sacrifice because he knew it would lead to joy. And at the end of the day, Jesus is talking about you and me experiencing joy. He's saying, hey, if you're too distracted, you'll never be able to receive God's invitation to sacrifice and to know the joy that comes from it. Followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are people who have chosen to make the sacrifice. Pastor Allison, if you go into her office, has a big banner on the wall. She was given to her a few weeks ago by a friend. Uh, she has a friend that she's known for a long time who's an army ranger. When she told me about this, I said, wow, an army ranger, that's almost as good as being a Marine. It's right up close to that. Yeah. <laughs> but he gave her this banner, and the banner, I'm joking, the banner said on it, sua sponte, it's a Latin phrase, it's the motto of the rangers. And what it means is, I choose this. I choose this sacrifice for love's sake, for service sake. I choose this sacrifice for a reward beyond this world. Jesus is saying that Christian discipleship means asking God, hey, what do you need me to do? What sacrifice are you calling me to make? Are you inviting me to make? And as we get ready to close here, let me ask you this. When God invites you to sacrifice in your marriage or in your family or in your home, in your church, in your school, in your community. Are you unafraid enough to receive that invitation?
the people who are know joy. And Jesus wants us to know joy. He wants us to experience the intense satisfaction and reward that only comes from being undistracted enough to say, I choose that sacrifice. I choose that. A few years ago, I shared a story about a woman named Mary Daniels. And Mary and her husband Steve have been married for more than 20 years when Steve was diagnosed with an early onset of Alzheimer's. They were just in middle age, and suddenly he's dealing with this. And his illness meant that eventually he had to be moved from the house to a memory care center because of it. And fortunately, they were able to locate a memory care center. It was just about a mile from their home. And, and so Mary could go for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and visit Steve and be with him and love him be married but then the pandemic hit and suddenly that nursing center was closed she wasn't allowed in she tried everything she applied for waivers she had meetings she begged she cajoled she campaigned to try and be allowed to go in but regulations were regulations and she couldn't and she began to grieve and despair she could see him through the window but she couldn't be with him then one day, in her angst, she noticed a card on the bulletin board in the foyer of the senior center. Wanted part-time dishwasher in the cafeteria. And Mary realized, hey, wow, if I was willing to be the dishwasher, I could be in the building every day and I could see Steve. And so what did she do? She said, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. And it's not my favorite thing. She took the job as a part-time dishwasher just so she could have lunch every day with Steve. She says, best decision I ever made in my life. Church, Jesus is inviting us to that kind of reality, but we can't hear that invitation if we're too distracted by our enemies, by our egos, by our ambitions. But he wants us to understand that that invitation is there. It's there for you and there for me. One last story. Kim Schler was an aspiring marathon runner who in 2015 found out that in St. Louis, her hometown, there was going to be a marathon. And it was a celebrity event, and at the end of it, the winner in her category would be able to meet with her, the person who inspired her to run, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, the Olympic athlete. And so she got so excited about this, but she also realized she probably wasn't far enough along in her marathon runner to be able to win the race. So when the day came, though, she was the first one across the finish line. Confetti, celebration, photos. She got to meet the person who inspired her. She won a $1,500 reward for her age group, first time marathoner winning the race like that. And gosh, it was pretty special for about 10 days. That was when, as the race officials reviewed, they found out that her little electronic tag didn't pass through the checkpoints on most of the course. They went to the video and found out that just about five miles from the finish line, she sneaked onto the course and ran as if she ran the whole way across the finish line and was celebrated as the winner for about 10 days. Then the truth came out. The money went back. Joyner Kersey expressed her disappointment. All her friends and neighbors 
discovered her shame. It was a road that led nowhere. Jesus invites us not to have that experience. He invites us to choose the invitation that leads to joy, the Father's joy in us. So let me ask us again as we close, what invitation is God giving you to sacrifice? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. In our marriages, in our families, at work, God, in our neighborhoods, you're calling us. You're inviting us to make those sacrifices. Give us the courage to receive your invitation. Let us be undistracted that we might. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? There is no better invitation than the ones God gives. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.